Freedom is not something to fear. In fact, it's an essential component of creativity. Chaos is something to avoid. However, many creative people confuse freedom with chaos and think a chaotic environment inspires creative passion. The most creative environments are those that provide enough order and essential security that allows individuals to stretch out to create something new. As security information management has evolved with the cloud, a new form of defense has been required. Dave Frampton, the VP and GM of CloudSem and security analytics at Sumo Logic, describes this system as living in the middle of the cloud chaos. What you really need to do is rethink this and deliver the SIM from the cloud, like as a cloud service itself. So it's right there in the midst of all that chaos, able to ingest all of that data. And it's savvy and smart about all those different new threat surfaces because the service itself is built and made from all of these same components, microservices and containers and modern software that communicates by APIs. By living in the midst of the cloud chaos, a security platform such as Sumo Logic is in the middle of the action and is creating a secure place for business and creativity to flourish. In Greek mythology, Atlas was forced to hold up the sky as punishment by Zeus. Cybersecurity forces must hold back those with ill intent and to do so, they dwell inside the chaos and create a safe place there. They don't do this because they are condemned to this fate. Instead, they do so because they have chosen this role as protector, and this is their mission. On this episode of IT Visionaries, Dave chats about how cybersecurity has evolved to decrease silos and increase automation. He explains how humanity and ethics are required to make judgments on how AI and automation should be used to further security aims. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of IT Visionaries. And today we have the VP, GM, Cloud Sim, that's S-I-E-M, in security analytics at Sumo Logic, Dave Frampton. Dave, welcome to the show. Great to be here. All right. We've had some of our previous guests are from Sumo Logic. But in case those that are listening have not heard from Sumo Logic or are unaware, can you please tell us what is Sumo Logic and what does it do? Of course. So Sumo Logic uh, provides a platform that extracts insights and intelligence from the huge amounts of data that are generated by modern business. That's, that's at its highest level. Yeah. On top of that, more specifically, we provide specific solutions around security that we'll talk about today quite a bit, but also adjacent use cases that leverage that same platform. Maybe it's observability, application performance management, monitoring and troubleshooting, that sort of thing. Yeah. And for your role specifically, Cloud SIEM or SIM, as you said, in security analytics. Talk a little about what you're specifically focused on. For sure. So I lead our security business, which is kind of one part of the company in terms of putting together specific solutions for customers. And the, the SIM market is probably the, the best descriptor for your general audience of where we compete. That's security event and information management for people who aren't into the acronyms there. It's basically just how a company pulls in all the data and, and then you know, figures out, are there threats uh, that are indicated by that data? And then you know, what they should do about them. That's kind of the core problem statement that companies you know, have that, that we answer with our cloud SIM and security analytics solution. Yeah. By the way, the, I remember being in startups. This might be a little different because it's probably more mature, but as 
like Gartner and Forrester would start giving acronyms to industries, like we would just adopt them because we're like, is this what people are going to call us now? So we had to just do it. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the sim space is, is actually a space that we've been at, at the forefront with a couple of other players of sort of disrupting and reinventing. So it's, the category has been around for a while. Yeah, It's kind of had this extreme makeover that Sumo has, has been a part of. So it's an interesting, it's an interesting space. Most people, even people who are experts in sim and who have bought them and have used them for many years, have long forgotten what the letters even stand for. They just know what it is. Yeah. It's kind of the command. It's like the command center of your defense is the, the way to think about it. So, you know, let's, let's talk about the evolution of this because you hinted at something. Cause I remember back in the day, we had an event logging tool when we were building software products and it really did take someone, I would say, very, very intelligent or very, with a ton of domain experience to kind of even recognize there was a potential problem because it kind of, the tools of old would just kind of just, you know, like I said, like they would log events. It was basically a giant spreadsheet on the screen where it's like, oh, this is an anomaly. It's like, what am I supposed to do about this? Like I see a dot, <laughs> I mean, literally a dot in an ocean of numbers that says it's like red. Well, I don't know what to do. And you would bring it over to our like chief engineer or chief architect. And he's like, oh yeah, I can. I can ascertain that this might be this. It's like, and then I used to always think like, well, is it that, is that the problem or it's not the problem? It's like, well, I think it could be. And it was always a real, it really felt like elementary school, kind of like guess and check style. You know what I mean? Like they're <laughs> like, they're like, Hey, maybe, maybe this will do it. <laughs> Talk about the evolution of this industry and how it's come because um, you know, like I said, it used to be just be like a notion of numbers. Hey, maybe this, maybe this is a problem. I don't know. <laughs> you know, it's, that's a, a great point. You've captured really well the genesis um, or the kind of founding statement of the product category, which is, you know, wow, we, we have to pre-process a lot of this data and put it together in a way that a human can understand it without having a PhD, as you point out, and being able to extract insight from a giant flat spreadsheet. So the earliest sims took a crack at, okay, I bring all this data in and then I have to kind of normalize it, which just means like, how can I compare data from different vendors of the same product or data from you know, different clouds that fundamentally are telling me the same thing. Yeah. How do I figure out how to run correlations and analytics to find threats, right? And that way, the person doesn't have to be a PhD. They get sort of a curated alert that says, okay, look, we've looked at all the data. You need to focus in on this particular machine, this particular user, and we think this may have happened, right? That was the, the beginning of the SIM journey in the, in the first phases. And since then, you know, the, the challenge has been, how do you progressively reduce the noise in all of those alerts? You know, there's too many of them. Yeah. And, and so you don't have time to go through them all. So that's a problem. And then there's a lot of them that are false positives. So that's a problem. And so that, there's a lot of data analytics that's gone into the evolution of, of SIM over the years to try to get at that problem of, how do I improve the signal to noise? And how do I narrow down to some alerts that I'm going to give a strong sense of priority to the analyst and say, these are the really, these are the ones we're highly confident are going to have something nasty that you need to look at and won't be a, a waste of your time. So on the customer side, most people have evolved into this idea to your point about who actually you know, does this for a living. They've evolved into this tiered system where they'll have a set of alerts that you know, are either not critical to look at or are pretty simple to look at where there's kind of like known procedures and things to check. And they'll call that like tier one. Yeah. And you'll get, you know, people kind of start out as, you know, a former sysadmin or something like that in the old world, you know, as a tier one analyst, as they develop skills and they learn how to investigate and figure out, well, what else might've been involved? And, you know, did this infection spread somewhere? And, 
you know, like, can I dive deep into searches to find out more and validate if it's false positive? That's sort of the tier two crew. And, you know, you, you might have fewer of those than tier one. And then your PhD guy is still around. Like usually, you know, most shops have one or two that are called tier three analysts. And these are the, these are the folks that get called in when it looks like, uh Oh, yeah. You know, we, we, we <laughs> you know, we may have been breached here or this is one that has stumped our entire crew, you know, of, of tier two. So it's sort of, to your point on the journey, it, it matured over the years into that kind of, you know, sort of order of, okay, the Sims were trying to get better every year at signal to noise and you know, trying to provide more automated workflow to make the work of these three tiers of analysts better. And that sort of got us to the, to the disruptive point that, you know, Sumo kind of entered the stage on, which was several years ago, it started to become clear that what you were defending started moving to the cloud. Yeah. And it, it started moving up the stack. Um, you had to start defending, you know, much more the application layer uh, than the than the servers themselves, right? Those were moved to the cloud. That you know, cloud providers protected those, and you know, you're you're just now responsible for what sits on top. And what sits on top, you know, the development of those applications oftentimes is outside the perimeter of your defense. Like leveraging tools to build that software that you know weren't you know in a secured environment. And many of those applications as a part of digital transformation are actually facing the internet, transacting business for the company. So the, the risk profile and, and the threat surface, it just started to go up really dramatically and really quickly, yeah. right? And, and compared to kind of the old world. And so, so Sumo's thesis was, look, you need a fundamentally different architecture to, to tackle that. I mean, you, you're not going to be able to you know, run a little piece of software on-prem it's going to somehow keep track of all of this anarchy and chaos in the cloud, make sense of it. And you're not going to be able to home all the data back down to the ground and all of that. What you really need to do is rethink this and deliver the SIM from the cloud, like as a cloud service itself. So it's right there in the midst of all that chaos, able to ingest all of that data. And it's savvy and smart about all those different new threat surfaces because it itself, like the service itself is, built and made from all of these same components, microservices and, you know, containers and, you know, modular, you know, modern software that communicates by APIs, all the threat surfaces that are created by that, you know, our thesis was, hey, we need to deliver this from the cloud, um, but also for the cloud. Like we need to understand all these threat surfaces and build analytics and content that helps people protect against, you know, these new threats and not so much the, the old stuff, which had gotten pretty stale. I mean, a lot of the algorithms for detecting your on-prem infrastructure, you know, but by about three or four years ago, you could download most of that stuff off the internet, including, you know, the attackers could download it. So that's sort of where we come in. And we'll, we'll talk more about, you know, this evolution of the next gen, you know, SIM and, and how the new challenges are evolving and all that. But that's, that's probably a good place to just stop the evolution of SIM. The current state of the SIM market is, all of the players like Sumo who have come in with these new architectures, defending the new threat surfaces with new approaches and new analytics and all that are disrupting a lot of the legacy players that built up, you know, these architectures and businesses and installed bases of years and years and years of this on-prem, you know, evolution into this three-tiered analyst system and, uh, and the like. Yeah, there's a couple of things that have changed. And I think before we talk to like where we are today, that's, I think we should keep going a little bit about where things were. Because when we think about today, we think about 
like I don't know what the best to call them, but like I feel I feel like micro teams, like there's small like application, there's not like monolithic applications and services like you mentioned before inside of companies. There's like mini applications, like like they're different dev teams are spinning up mini products that help support maybe a bigger product that helps support uh, you know, consumer-facing product. There's a lot of little mini teams that are engineering things all the time to make improvements. At the same time, you talked about modern cloud infrastructure and when that started coming about, how people weren't really ready for it. You know, you know, obviously a lot more than I do, but I think from my knowledge on the surface, just like simply monitoring a load balancer or something like that, or elastic compute where it's spinning up new instances of storage services, uh, locations, right? So your application basically multiplies itself across the clouds in order to handle traffic, you would need to bring your security with you. (laughs) I don't think a lot of people thought this way. Give us an idea where it was you know, what was the catalyst so that we can understand what the problems were versus like what they're evolving into? You've hit on a couple of key elements of, the, of that transition. So if you think about the, the old world that we described a minute ago, this was this evolution. Now you have envision in your mind, like the, the security operations center, and it's got, you know, the, uh, the Sims kind of the command console there, but you've got all these other tools, you know, and you've got these analysts and they're, you know, they're kind of looking at all the, these tools. They're trying to you know, investigate these alerts that are being, you know, spit out of the, of the SIM. And by and large, the skill set of the people that did that, you know, you could take a sysadmin and turn them into a productive, you know, SOC analyst in about three months. That, that was sort of typical. You know, it provided decent motivation and talent, right? And they could more or less completely investigate, you know, one of the alerts off the pile, you know, with maybe only having to ask a, a more experienced colleague, uh, or a manager for help if they got stuck, right? That, so visualize that as kind of like the state of the, of the old. And then to pick up some of the things that you just hit on, what started to change was as, as you started defending uh, these cloud applications that, as you point out, oftentimes are built in these modular chunks, each of which have you know, different teams. Yeah. Then what happened is the two things. One is that sysadmin started to realize, well, wait a minute, I can't interpret whether or not something is a threat or not without context that there's no way I have myself in my head or I can't get it from the tools in front of me. So I started having to reach out and communicate and collaborate with all those different teams that you're talking about. And in a modern piece of software, you might have hundreds of microservices that might, you know, they might have, you know, usually not hundreds of teams because there's a ratio there, but you might have one team responsible for only five or six of those. Right? So you end up with the you know, 20 different teams. And so this sysadmin has to start communicating with them and say, hey, this microservice was talking to an IP address outside our perimeter that was rated as medium to high risk by our threat feed. Like, is that a problem? And you, know, you might get back an answer like, no, that's not a problem at all. This microservice is uh, it's part of the front end UI where people register for a new promotion that we just launched yesterday. Right? And, and so the sysadmin doesn't, like has no way of knowing that, yeah. right? It, just sitting, sitting in the cave of, of like the sock. So the sysadmin has to, you know, collaborate and communicate in a much more sort of open way, as opposed to like, think about the old world. It's just like the, the vault of the sock. They never talked to anybody. Only they look at the data. In this new world, what started to happen is that model started to, to sort of horizontalize a little bit. Like people started to realize, wait a minute, we need to make security much more of a, a collaborative virtual team effort and not like concentrated in these small number of people just in the sock looking at these alerts. And we have to start educating people in all these microservices teams as in this example, 
about security. They have to invest part of their time collaborating with you know, the people in the SOC. The person who is in the SOC, probably not the best skill set anymore to be the old sysadmin, right? You, yeah. you need somebody, you need a diversity of people there. Maybe uh, you rotate in SREs, maybe you rotate in engineers who have been more involved in securing the code. You need just a, a more diverse set of skills and a more open sort of SOC environment. And then you need tools and this is, this is you know, our belief at Sumo, and we see this on the leading edge of, of modern enterprise as people try to secure it. You need tools that enable people to collaborate and do look at the same data, look at the same analytics, independent of whether or not their job is more focused on security or more, more focused on the application, more focused on IT operations. You need like an environment that kind of brings those groups together across the old silos. Right. And, and that, that's how I'd characterize the transition that we're in now to a different kind of modern SOC for modern enterprise, as opposed to kind of the old traditional siloed SOC for the on-prem world where the SIM got its start. You know, one of the things that you kind of hinted at, and, and I, I remember because I worked, so I worked, my previous experience building a startup was in um, a marketing software product. And I was thinking about what you were just saying, how all these microservices have different use cases. So it's not really clear, like a central command doesn't even no idea how the data is supposed to behave. So how would they ever recognize an anomaly or an error? And I was thinking about when, um, so we were a social media monitoring company and we did, you know, brand engagements, but like things would go viral. You know, when something goes viral, the data spike would be preposterous like the amount of load of like that was in our systems of like data coming in exactly and i was thinking like myself i remember back in those days because we only had one central authority that that's how we did it you know and we would have to go back to our cto every single time like as in like he would be like freaking out and like running around like what's the problem this problem you know when this was evolving in like different microservices different teams different parts of the application they see different data loads what was coming first? Was the demand coming from the customer side where it was like, hey, we need something to help us alert at the team level? Or was this something that Sumo Logic or maybe your team prior where you were, uh, I know you were a co-founder of another startup that got acquired by Sumo Logic. Did you start seeing this and say like, no, I forecast, I'm predicting that if we build this kind of solution, this is what people are going to want because this is how teams are going to go. Oh, for for sure, there was there was deliberate foresight in the founders of Sumo. I mean, they the background of the founding team was from ArcSight, which happened to be kind of the category creator of SIM to begin with, right? So, so they knew this problem, you know, really well. And they, they saw pretty early that fundamentally you would need an architecture that had a property called elastic scale. Yeah. And, you know, for people in the audience who may not be as, as familiar with kind of that, that terminology, it just means that you have to be able to accommodate real-time massive increases in data ingestion that you might come from the situation just as you're describing a minute ago, right? And, and you have to do that without having to pre-provision a bunch of capacity that you pay for, but you most of the time don't get any value out of yeah. in that kind of old, old static way. Or worse yet, like in the middle of a security you know, incident, you're having to call a partner or who then calls a vendor with a ticket that says, you know, go provision more capacity, right? I mean, you don't have time for any of that, right? Because yeah. every, every second counts in, in these type of things. So their original founding vision is, hey, let's build this architecture in the cloud that'll have this elastic scale property. So we don't, you know, Sumo doesn't, you know, force its customers to say how much data they're going to send us. I mean, we just accommodate whatever they send us. Now, yes, over long periods of time, there are commercials around, you know, hey, 
you know, if you send us, you know, more data writ large, then you're going to end up having a larger contract. But the, none of that is is on a day to day basis. Like real time, right. the system literally scales to the capacity of the cloud, and so it can handle all of these massive kind of viral spikes and and all of that. I would say on the customer, so there's there's foresight there from on the supply side, on the demand side, as customers started migrating to the cloud, it wasn't all this complicated at all. Really, it was <laughs> oh my god, oh my god. Like I'm, I'm even the very beginnings of lift and shift. I don't like, I don't have visibility. Like, I, you know, like I need to start collecting, you know, uh, logs and metrics and, and other sources of signal from this new environment that's different from my old one and start ingesting that. And it just started to make sense. Well, why don't I start collecting that, you know, in the cloud as opposed to like having to home it all down to on-prem, you know, to mix it with my legacy system. So that's, but there was definitely, that's years later. I mean, that's like five, six years later were we at that stage. But the founders in the first years, they had this vision that, you know, the, the elastic scale of the cloud was going to be essential for, for modern security. And there was just no other way to, to do it. And that's why it was going to be hard for the legacy SIM players to go from their old on-prem architectures. They'd almost have to kind of junk the whole thing yeah. or build new, like, or fake it, like where they sort of take the on-prem and then they, they cloud wash it, but it's really just the old on-prem with the same provisioning boundary and all that. So they take all the data from the cloud, dump it into the on-prem system and send it back out. <laughs> yeah, there, there, there are all sorts of jokes and metaphors about that. They're good. You know, with this complexity that was started to evolve in the engineering teams, or I guess it wasn't complexity, it was more like opportunity. The opportunity of cloud allowed people to build smaller teams, I feel like, to, to then take advantage of different services as they needed. I know I, I gave an example. Here's another example I have. Uh, one of my friends works at uh, their research company. He said, like, it was a simple thing building a building a microservice to use TensorFlow to send the articles out that they're like their educational articles, articles out, get them tagged up to identify what the subjects are, so they improved searchability. But like that little transition was just a microservice they built for their own greater application that allowed professors to search, right? And so that's like a prime example of a little tiny little thing moving tons of data, but only one or two engineers were responsible for it. Now you kind of hinted at this new thing, which was the tier one, two, three support by application, by service, potentially by group. And that notifications. So like, that's what I want to talk about next is like, on one hand, you're now identifying these things, right? And you kind of hinted at it. It got more complex as to, well, who's in charge, right? And like, there was a new rise of companies that just are all around like, almost like service ticket SIM routing. Like, hey, we built a company just to handle the rules engine of where this alert needs to go. Yep. And now it seems like that. So that splintered off a new industry, but now it seems like this industry is going to consolidate again where the, the event managers are like, wait a second, we can route the, we can route the ticket. That's not a problem. Yeah. Well, and, and, and the other thing is, you know, back to that notion of, of building a common platform so that instead of having, you know, siloed tools, that only connect in some sort of like overreaching ticket system. Yeah. But, but people are still working in these different siloed tools that don't talk to each other. Why not, you know, and this is our thesis is, is look, let's build like a, a sumo logic platform that the application team can use for, you know, its observability and its monitoring and troubleshooting and its APM and all of that. But the security team can use the same data lake and the same analytics, the same visibility you know, and, and do it and do the SIM use case. And that way, when the two groups have to, 
you know, collaborate together, like you're saying, they're sort of speaking a common language yeah. and, and there's common workflows and there's efficiency of, you know, of this. So we do think that there's a consolidation to your point of like, it's kind of coming back together. There is a consolidation and that ticketing part of it, it's, you're probably familiar as, as many of your audiences with, you know, the, the difference between kind of the, the surface ticketing and case management and then the orchestration and automation underneath that. I mean, those are two kind of different things. You, yeah. you can use many kind of ticketing systems that'll keep track of the case and what's the state of the case and who's assigned and, and all of that. But the orchestration and automation underneath that, that's much more related to the specific workflow of how can we make the analysts more efficient once they take an alert off the pile? Yeah. How, do we, how do we automate manual tasks and then uh, you know, automate the collection of other information that maybe before we'd have to go run searches in nine tools. Now we can run a script. Let's keep a playbook of previous learning so we don't, you know, have to reinvent the wheel. And then let's figure out, okay, if we want to take some action, maybe we can pre-wire some automation so that as soon as a decision is made, you know, to remediate something, we can just press a button and then, you know, we'll quarantine a user or shut down a machine or isolate a part of the network, whatever, you know, it, it might be. And that's, you know, we just acquired a, at Sumo. We just acquired a what's called a SOAR company, a security orchestration automation and response company, DF Labs last quarter, and that that's another big trend in the SIM space. Is since a lot of this involves automating workflow, yeah, you want to have your SIM and your SOAR work very very closely together because it, there's kind of a handoff. The SIM detects and then starts the investigation, and then the SOAR sort of picks it up for the more, you know, difficult ones as it, as it goes. So that, that's another, you know, dynamic here is, is how do we bring automation into the, you know, into play and in a much larger scale way to, to make this stuff more efficient. So we, we had uh, another guest on IT visionaries from the networking space, talk about how network engineering is going down the route of trying to create some automation so that if like a network like a router goes down that it automatically reroutes this other way that they have like a troubleshooting service that could, you know, do some type of service on the router without any human intervention and potentially like send it a new address or bump its subnet or whatever needed to happen. I mean, it seemed very like, and when he was explaining, it was like super futuristic because typically for anyone who's ever been in an office that the internet goes down, it turns into like, no one knows what to do. Everyone freezes, right? <laughs> and you start looking for the guy that can fix that. You know, you know exactly what I'm talking about. The whole company, like, I don't yeah, know what to totally. do. Even like the senior engineer. I don't know what to do. <laughs> you know, in, in larger enterprises, and this might, this might surprise, you know, some in the audience, but in the, in the old days, it was really hard to do that kind of automation because you had to you had to write these custom scripts that right. took into account all the different nuances of the things that were connected to each other and like which version were they and you know all of that in modern IT it's much easier uh, with a lot of the software being API driven to actually on a technical level stitch together a set of actions and tasks to automate something but what's not as easy is the people and process part of that automation, because oftentimes this automation might span several, you know, organizational boundaries. 
right? You, you can't just decide inside of the security group in, in an enterprise that you're going to shut down some servers in the line of business engineering team. Yeah. Because, you know, that, that you know, there's a, you know, head of engineering and a general manager and all of that over there who are on the hook for deadlines. Maybe they're launching a new service tomorrow, maybe many things, right? It actually requires a, and this is we, this is kind of more of the current kind of state of, you know, innovation and, and, you know, challenge for customers is how do we help get that people and process stuff right? The tech is actually getting to the point where you can pretty efficiently, you know, set up a lot of these automation workflows and even take humans out of the loop. But do you want to take humans out of the loop? And who has to agree that you take those humans out of the loop? And who needs to approve ahead of time? Who needs to approve if there's a checkpoint in the middle? You know, this is something many companies don't really think through. They just jump in with the tech and, oh, now, great, you know, we have this automation capability. And then they quickly realize, like, you know, just because you can doesn't mean you should. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Who makes the judgment call, right? Like you, you're hinted at right there. Like some, a simple thing could be like, let's go back to those viral spikes or traffic spikes. Every company sees them. Every retail company, for example, during Black Friday has an operational spike. Just happens, right? So let's say you notice an outflow of data that was abnormally high and it was disrupted. Well, should it patch it or should it stop it? You know what I mean? Like that, a simple question is that like that, like, automation. And then you're, you're right. Like each scenario would require probably some level of human judgment to be like, well, in this scenario, we would stop it. We would not repatch it. Right. In this scenario, if it's, you know, it's financials, we automatically want to stop it. Okay. What if it's your credit card processor demanding more because they they're processing so many credit cards? Like, oh, well, we got to keep that on. It's like, <laughs> well, what is it? You know what I mean? Your question of if we could, it's not a matter of if we could, it's a matter of if we should. I don't think, I don't see how that changes. Yeah. <laughs> you fit on something there that, that is, as I look out, you know, sort of in the next, you know, five or 10 years, it, it seems, it seems in automation and maybe a parallel track in machine learning and AI, we're kind of in this, in this great kind of middle period where you can envision, you know, 10 years from now, and maybe it's five years for the bulls and 10 years for the bears, you know, who, who knows, right. But no one forecasts that well, but you can envision that a great majority of the activities of the security operations will be handled in a completely automated way. You'll have, you know, detection detections that are uh, gleaned from the data with no human guidance or, or, you know, or, or hints, right. No, no old rules engine, right. Just as the new, you know, just like Mm -hmm. AI and ML just studying the data while you sleep. Right. And they'll identify the threat and then there'll be a whole set of, you know, automations that, deal with most threats, not all, but most threats, you know, without uh, a large amount of, of human involvement, right? We, the tech is just not there yet in either AI or automation to execute that today, but we know we're on that journey. Like we know, we know that, that we're going to get there. So the question is in both of these areas, you know, what's the right way to be in both of those, those fields, what's the right way to be pragmatic and realistic about what the current state of the tech is good for, but when it, its use can be dangerous or create, you know, unpredictable consequences, right? This is the, this is, is part of what's exciting about, you know, working in, in security right now, because it, it's on the one hand, we have this promise that we're all working towards where we really feel like we can get, you know, with a couple of other uh, techniques that we can talk about in a minute, we can really catch up a little bit with the advantages that the attackers have. Right. But we're not there yet. 
but we want to sort of learn along the way and leverage this tech as it matures and evolves at, at each step on the way from, uh, from here to there. And when to involve the human and which humans to involve and how long should we wait for a human you know, intervention? These are exactly the kinds of questions that we think about in our, you know, in our design teams, like thinking about the workflows that we're designing the products for, you know, to get at exactly these use cases that, you, that, you're, uh, that, that you're bringing up. Yeah. And then, and then of course, this is, got, is bound to happen because when I think of what a Sumo Logic product is, is designed for, like you said, you mentioned a modern enterprise, or I guess you don't even have to be enterprise to still use a ton of intermingled technology, right? Even small companies now today are doing that. Totally. Literally at each point, whatever you want to call it, failure point, data flow, every time data flows from object A or you know, between A and B, there could be potentially a security problem, right? And the amount of judgment calls that are in uh, it's a, it really is like you said. It's at the microservice level. I think it's a we're pretty far off. I think from an AI being able to figure out like at every step of the way, this is how I'm going to fix this. Mm-hmm. It's probably going to be utilized more first in like probably some like universal truth type uh, situations. Like I used an example of airline rebooking. I think most of us agree that we all universally would prefer an option that gets us home sooner, right? <laughs> <laughs> like, like that AI can work in your favor because. Very rarely when a flight is canceled, does someone want to wait longer? You know what I mean? Like right. it's just nuts. Right. Yeah. <laughs> there is the odd, odd cases of dysfunctional uh, domestic relationships and loneliness. But other than those odd cases, <laughs> yes, we, we can all agree that you, you want to get home sooner. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think AI will be quick to do that. But like what you guys are in the business of, I don't know when AI is able to then say, make the judgment call. I, I think I agree with you. I think. I would be bearish, I guess, on that. I think AI will get there, but I think for the, I think people don't also don't want to lose that like center of control a little bit. It's it's scary to think that your security decisions are going to be made by a machine, and then, but my head's on the chopping block. Like this, if this AI fails, I'm fired, <laughs> or my business falls. Like, yeah. I mean, there's there's sort of a fear and greed, you know, tension like in a, in a lot of things. And on the one hand, the fear, if you take them one at a time, if you take AI and most people use ML AI as sort of interchangeable, and we could probably burn five minutes of the podcast. We shouldn't do like trying to splice the two. But in that area, the fear that people have is, is that look, this, you know, I want to understand why this concluded what it did. Like I, you know, I want it to be a transparent algorithm. And also I want to make sure that if it if it did identify something and I say, wow, you were right, then I want to make sure that every time after that it flags that same thing and doesn't get too smart for its own good and decide, well, no, this was, there was some other subtle difference. So, you know, this same thing, which was the burglar, you know, in a ski mask at the front door, I alerted on it once, but I didn't alert on it the second time because, you know, the person was the same height as my neighbor or something, right? You, you want to make sure that you, you kind of understand kind of the reasoning and you get a repeatability out of it. And then in the automation one, it's just the fear that the fears are, well, you know, one, it's just a, intuitive loss of control, but two is what happens if somebody hijacks that automation thing, yeah. you know, then, yeah. <laughs> then, you know, I've, I've kind of like, you know, really created a monster, you know, type thing. So that's the fear end of it. But the, the greed part of it is looking at the, the impossibility of human workflows, keeping up with the volume of data and the volume of alerts that are created it's, it's just not, it's, it's gotten so far away from us and the cloud and digital transformation have just accelerated that trend, you know, to exponential scales 
So, so you, you have to realize like, yes, there are those fears about leveraging those two technologies, but the flip side of it is most of these enterprises in a, in a traditional type of defense, they realize they're only getting to less than, you know, 10% of the alerts that are thrown by these systems. Wow. And wow. so it's almost like, look, we have to, we're going to have to sort of, you know, start migrating to the future here and leverage technology to help us scale. Otherwise, we're, you know, we're sort of kidding ourselves that we're, we're actually defending and, and we're just kind of reduced to like this herd defense where, you know, you, you just, you know, hope that you're in the middle of the herd and not picked off the edge type of thing. And I think people, people recognize that. And that's why I think people are willing to tackle these daunting challenges. I mean, think about what we've talked about. Hey, we have to open up the sock. We have to make it horizontal. We have to get new skill sets. We have to have collaboration, you know, the cross boundaries with people that are unfamiliar with each other and yep. with the technology and all that. I mean, nobody needs all, all that challenge dumped on their desk, but you have to realize that the, you know, the fundamental mandate of, of security is you have to keep a coherent defense, you know, despite all those challenges. And that's why people are both cheerleaders and skeptics and cynics. You know, maybe I said three things, not two, but you know what I mean? Like yeah. about AI, AI, ML and about automation, it's, it's just, it's almost like everybody has a love hate type of thing, you know, with them. Well, I think when, when you have deep intimate knowledge of the problem as you, as you have, it's just really hard to conceive that something can just solve all of it. Do you know what I mean? Like it's, for example, like if you were to tell a writer that AI can write a story, they wouldn't believe you. This this (laughs) is too hard for them to conceive of it. It's like, I've seen too many writers spend, you know, decades at their craft, still write a story that sucks. You know what I mean? Like when you have so much intimate knowledge of something, I think we become inherently a skeptic of it because we just see all the problems. We can't see all the solutions. Yeah. And when you're on the developers or when you're developing the solution, you're, you can romanticize the outcome because you're like, you don't see all the problems. Like you only see the benefits. Right. And it's like you said, it's somewhere in the middle. But, you know, when I hear you and what you're up to at Sumo Logic, I, I know this thing I do know you're going to be busy. You, you're going to be busy for a long time, man. I don't think you could. I mean. <laughs> you nailed it. It's, this is not a field uh, for, for those who want to sort of coast along, uh, you know, on the, on the fruits of previous generations. Uh, cybersecurity is uh, on, the, on kind of the cutting edge of really the, just modernizing the economy into a digitally transformed, you know, new economy. And, and you know, every, the inevitable you know, momentum behind that just forces security to, you know, to, to play catch up and do everything possible to get ahead of it to achieve the mission. Yeah. I mean, when I look at your track record, right, you've served as a VP of multiple different companies, uh, you know, Cisco, a big company, you had your own startup factor chain and gets acquired and you're probably, you know, like, I'd love for you to answer this, you know, how much did you think you had solved at factor chain at the time of acquisition versus how much do you think you have solved right now? Oh my gosh. You know, startups in general are, you know, they're focused usually, not, not all the time, but, but usually, especially in the security space, they're, they're focused on, you know, taking a piece of the problem that is a critical link that needs to be improved and figuring out kind of the, the quantum leap for how to do that piece of the problem 10x better than it was done before. Like that's, yeah. you know, so, so at, at Factor Chain, you know, our, our piece of this puzzle was, was this, this tier two analyst would often spend, you know, an hour or two, you know, trying to answer this question, 
you know, what happened? Where did this spread? You know, what should we do about it? And we thought, hey, you know, some of this is related to an underlying problem and making intuitive connections in large data sets. And so we invented some tech and I won't geek out on you, but we invented some tech to, you know, to help people do that. That was different than the way that, you know, it was done before. Mm -hmm. Um, It showed, you know, super promising, you know, results and, and all of that. But we realized at some point in our journey that, look, I mean, that's, it's great that we've improved this one thing like 10X and we've got customers who are, you know, starting to buy it and all of that. But we also realized like we'd be, you know, yet another security vendor and, you know, we'd be carving out budget, borrowing it from, you know, bigger systems. If our goal is to get this innovation in the hands of, you know, the most number of people, we're probably going to be better off as a, like a smaller part of something bigger. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Cause you know, the security industry goes through these waves of like best of breed point products and then consolidated products. You know, we've seen this over the decades. We've been in a, we've been in a consolidation phase now for about five years where it's, you see all the startups kind of get absorbed by bigger companies because the complexity is just too great for the end customer to integrate all these different products together. Yeah. Right. And so, so we, to answer your question, the short version is my goodness. I mean, we're the problems that we're tackling now across the whole of the full stack SIM space, the SOAR space, the security analytics space. I mean, it's, it's a, you know, it's, it's a hundred X the breadth of what, you know, what we were doing as the startup, but that doesn't mean that there isn't the role for the startup. I mean, we've acquired now, we've acquired three companies, right? Not just mine, but two others. And like ours, they had pieces of the puzzle, but not all of it. Right. So, so a lot of what I do at Sumo is like, look, we need to think of this innovation as not only what our engineers can do, but what the startup community can do. And then we can sort of assimilate, you know, the innovation from outside of Sumo and just continue to build, you know, the, the, the more complete solution for our customers, leveraging kind of the best of, of both. Yeah, no doubt about it. There's just too many opportunities of improvement, I would say. That's the best way to probably phrase it, right? Like someone that's focusing on one thing is that probably can do it very, very well. It makes total sense bringing it into everybody. You know, Dave, I want to thank you for joining us today on IT Visionaries, sharing some of your experiences at, you know, from startup to what you're doing now at Sumo Logic. But before you leave, it is time for the lightning round. The lightning round is brought to you by our sponsor, the Salesforce platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Dave, this is where we ask you questions outside of the world of work so our audience can get to know you a little better. <laughs> you ready? I'm ready. All right. So for our audience who cannot, you know, they're not going to be able to see this, but I can see that your profile picture on Zoom is actually you climbing up a frozen waterfall. So you are a thrill seeker. How did you get into that? I, uh, I'm an ice climber and, and a mountaineer for sure. I, you know, I don't know if I, I can make thrill seeker as you and I were talking about at the beginning of the podcast, uh, you know, thrill seeking involves some, some other activities that uh, seem crazy to me. So, but I love to, I love to climb. You're climbing up a frozen waterfall, man. That is not safe. I, that's, that's thrill seeking. If you're doing something that's not safe, that's thrill seeking. Yeah, fair enough. All, all, all a matter of perspective. Uh, how did I get into it? It's the question. So uh, a friend of mine in the neighborhood, we were uh, in a workout group together uh, was into this and just took me on a you know trip to Colorado and it was a pretty controlled deal. It's a canyon you go into and you know you start out kind of you know just kind of learning to use the the ice picks you know in each hand and then your crampons you know have the spikes that stick into the ice and all of that. And I just the very first time I did it, I just realized that there's a perspective on nature that you can get when you climb 
particularly like climbing in a waterfall that's that's really inaccessible in any other way other than to actually climb it and be in it, right? You can look at that picture on my Zoom and you can see the the waterfall and everything. And it looks, you know, it looks very sort of smooth and there's some bumps and you imagine what that might look like. When you're in it, staring at it like two inches away from it, you see an entire world of crystalline, you know, fractal beauty that you just, you couldn't appreciate when you looked at it, you know, from far away. Now, I've just found that about climbing in general. We were in, they were on the North Palisade this past weekend, and you see the same thing in, in the walls of granite that are slowly disintegrating as water gets into the cracks and expands every winter. You know, they sort of peel off and fall down into the, you know, into the valley. So it's, it's disintegrating over 100 million years, and you're, you're there just at a snapshot in time looking at all of that, that fractal complexity. It's just, it's a, it's a beautiful thing, and you just, it's very hard to experience from a picture. You kind of have to yeah. have to be there. So that that's how I got hooked on ice climbing and and that's now expanded into other parts of it. But uh well listen, I am an for me, I'm an avid surfer. I know exactly what you're talking about because you can see a video and watch someone get barreled and you can be inside of a barrel. There's two completely <laughs> different things, right? Someone like, oh, you're just in a tunnel of water. Like, what's the big deal? It's like, nah, it's not just a tunnel of water. I try to explain it, but as you probably have done with other people that don't do like, I guess, nature events is like, they, they can't put themselves there. Like, why would that be more impressive? I don't know, but I'm very impressed. This is awesome. So what kind of music do you like listening to? Because I'm trying to get, we're trying to gauge your personality, your ice climber. What kind of music you like? Oh, this is, that's just tough. Why did you have to add that question on? So this is a boy, I'm just classic, classic rock is, is, you know, I know that's not, doesn't add any color or excitement to the triangulation between security and uh, ice climbing and mountaineering. But uh, I suppose I, I, I should have said like, you know, thrash metal or something. It would have like fit more into the stereotype, but no classic rock is, uh, is where I sit. If you uh, stole my phone and looked at it, that's what you would see in about 80% of it. If you could have any superpower, what would it be? Oh, my superpower would be, <laughs> I, well, I, I'll give you the truthful answer. I was going to try to give something inspiring about empathy, but um, A, that would be too cheesy. And B, the truth is I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm not a spring chicken, right? I'm, I'm like a guy who's like working out six days a week to try to fight age. Yeah. And I'm just hella sore from three days on a brutal <laughs> climb and i i would just i would just get get a handle on this aging thing and i would just sort of go back 10 years freeze there and just keep keep the, the body that i had 10 years ago like for the rest of my life that would be my superpower there you go you want to be like wolverine wolverine can self-heal you know what i mean that's right self <laughs> Man, my my knees and hips right now could use like a double heap of, of self-heal. Yeah. <laughs> that would be great. Well, Dave, it was awesome having you on the show. Thanks for sharing a little insight into your personality and some of your hobbies. I think what you're working on at soon, I mean, the industry itself is, it sounds crazy when we always talk about it, but like every person we talk to on the show is really in their nascency, right? But you guys are, as far as Sumo Logic has come, you're still there, right? Like there's so much to do. Like some of the things we talked about totally. with AI and automation. So like I said, I know you'll be busy. So stay young. Keep up <laughs> six days a week. I know you're sore on the knees and stuff. And you're up, but hey, man, keep after it. Albert, thanks so much. Great to be here. Great to get to know you. 